in the Gospel according to John, we read in chapter 3 about a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. And as the story of Nicodemus unfolds, it's a very interesting and a very compelling story. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. And he came to see Jesus. But not in the light of the day. He came to Jesus by night. And coming to Jesus at night was quite a shocking thing for Nicodemus to do. After all, he was a ruler of the Jews. He was a man of position, a man of high position. Who comes to a man who has neither status nor position. He's an aristocrat. And he comes to a man of the people. A commoner. Nicodemus is a man of the university. He's a scholar. And he comes to a man who is a man of the people. A commoner. A man who has no diploma. A man who has no degree. This man of position comes to someone who, to our knowledge, has never even been inside a university. So he chooses to come when no one was looking. He came in the darkness of night. You see, Nicodemus was a man who had gotten far along into life. At the time he comes to see Jesus, no doubt his hair is white. He's an old man, both in honor and an old man in years. And at nighttime, when no one's looking, he comes to a man who's young enough to be his son. And John writes this very arresting statement in verse 2. The same came to Jesus by night. My friends, those words, that little short phrase, speaks volumes. It tells us about uh, the, the magnificent story about this ancient Pharisee. It gives us a spectacular insight into his character. And as you read the story in the first 15 verses of the Gospel according to John, you're immediately intrigued by the story. And you want to know more. Because you see, this man who came to Jesus by night, this man that came to Jesus when no one is looking, was no ordinary man. He was a ruler of the Jews. And the fact that this ruler of the Jews comes to Jesus tells us that though he's a Pharisee and though he's a ruler among the Jews, he's a man with an open mind. He's a man that was willing to learn. He was a man who would not let his prejudice blind his eyes to the truth. The others of his class, the other rulers of the Jews, the other Pharisees like Nicodemus, they condemned Jesus without ever having even heard him. They made up their minds immediately that they did not even care to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And not wanting to believe it, they refused to even hear of it or listen to it, much less believe it. 
We sit in judgment on them, don't we? And yet, aren't we like that? Isn't it easy sometimes for us to <clears throat> close our minds to truth we do not care to accept? That we find it easy to close our eyes to the things that we don't want to see? Isn't it easy for us to stop our ears to a message we don't want to hear? And guess what? It's just as dangerous in the 21st century as it was in the 1st century. There was an occasion when a gentleman came to a man by the name of Nathaniel. This gentleman by the name of Philip came to Nathaniel and he said, We have found him. We have found the one that Moses and the prophets spoke of. And Philip said, Nathaniel, it's Jesus of Nazareth that Moses spoke of. And as you read the story, the disdain, the contempt in Nathaniel's voice almost jumps off the page at you. He says to Philip, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? So Philip said, well, let me try to convince you of it. No, he didn't. Philip didn't open a debate with him. He didn't try to argue the matter with him. He simply said to Nathaniel, come and see. Come and see. Try it out. And to his credit, Nathaniel was a fair-minded man. He put the information Philip had brought to him to the test. He found it to be true. He found out that even from despised Nazareth, there had come one who would be not only the Lord of his life, but also the Lord of heaven and earth. Sadly, there are so many folks today that have the same kind of attitude and the same kind of prejudice against the church and Christianity that those Pharisees had and that Nathaniel had. Quite honestly, I meet people almost on a daily basis who feel that way. And like so many people, their prejudice against the church and their prejudice against Christianity is founded upon a prejudice that's just as unreasonable as Nathaniel's prejudice was founded. There are some today in our world, in our own community, who are prejudiced because they have been offended by those who have misrepresented Jesus Christ. There are some who are prejudiced because they have been they have been they have suffered at the hands of so-called Christians. And there are others who are Prejudice because they have received over the years misinformation from ill-informed people who've propagated that misinformation. And yet, to all of these, to those who are blinded by prejudice about the church and about Christianity, we say what Philip said to Nathaniel. Come and see. Come and see for yourself if what you've heard is really the way it is. Nicodemus 
the Pharisee comes to Jesus. And that's indicative of a man who is genuine. A man who's in earnest. A man who's sincere. He's a serious man. There's nothing superfluous about him. And he's not going to be satisfied. He's not going to be satisfied with the superfluous doctrines of eating and drinking and being merry. You know, there's so many people in our world today. They don't care what the doctrine of a particular religious group might be. They don't care what might be taught from the pulpit or might be taught in the Bible classes. They want to be a part of the church of what's happening now. I want to be a part of the group that's got the most bouncy houses, the part the group that has the most super slides, and the booth group that has the best entertainment. Well, what do they teach about various doctrines? Oh, I don't know. That doesn't matter. It's what's happening now there. They want to be a part of the group that's got the biggest praise team or the largest band. And that satisfies them. But what did Jesus say? It's in Matthew 7, verse 21. When He brought the Sermon on the Mount to the close, He says, Not everyone that saith unto Me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, then who's going to get there, Lord? He that doeth the will of My Father which is in heaven. Doing the Father's will is important. Obeying the teachings of Jesus Christ. That's important. Nicodemus was not a mere human bauble. And he was not a man who was interested in the, being a part of the church of what's happening now. He was genuine. He was in earnest. He was serious. He was seeking the truth of what God would have him to do. Genuine earnestness. And seriousness. Beloved, that is a most worthwhile virtue. It is that man or woman who is earnest and serious who wins their way to God. To be flippant, to be half-hearted, to be lukewarm, that is to fail to reach any worthwhile goal. And it's also to be disgusting to the Lord the way that church in Laodicea was. This man Nicodemus, as he comes to Jesus when no one's looking, is a man of marvelous courage. And yet, when you think about it, that's not what people genuinely emphasize about this ruler of the Jews. Truth be told, we almost put the opposite concept forward. Oftentimes, we're found lambasting the timidity and cowardice of this man because he came by night. And we point to the fact, well, he came under the cover of darkness. He was wanting to hide. The important fact in this story is not that Nicodemus came at night. The big fact the important fact is that Nicodemus came to Jesus at all. Because face it, there were a lot of things to 
hinder this man coming to Jesus. But in spite of the obstacles, he came. Now we may laugh at his cowardice and smile in scorn because he came at night. But he came. And how many people never have had and never have the courage to come to Jesus at all? Yes, He came at night. And that shows a certain timidity on His part. I'm quite certain because of His high position among the Jews, I'm quite certain Nicodemus was afraid. Probably as he made his way to where Jesus was, every footstep that he heard along the way startled him. Because he was afraid. He was horribly afraid. And don't forget that fact. There's two types of courage. There are those who have never felt fear. They've never felt fear and wouldn't recognize fear if they met it on the street this afternoon. They're simply utter strangers to fear. They've never made its acquaintance. And then there's another type of courage. A courage that I think is much more admirable. And that's the courage of that man or that woman who is by nature a coward. And that's the kind of courage Nicodemus had. The kind of courage that enabled him to go to Jesus. In spite of the fact that he was horribly afraid. But... The very fact that Nicodemus came to Jesus tells us something. There was a hungering in his heart. He was a religious man. Yes, he was. But his religion had never satisfied him. Never. And somehow, after almost a lifetime spent in the holy atmosphere of the temple, in the holy city. Nicodemus is troubled. He's weary. He's dissatisfied. And he probably has been unhappy, disappointed and dissatisfied for many years. And no doubt Nicodemus had heard this young teacher on the streets of Jerusalem. So what do I see? I see Nicodemus with hope in his heart making his way to Jesus that night. I can't help but feel a certain kinship with Nicodemus. Because I have hungers and thirsts that no earthly power can satisfy. I have needs that cannot be met by any human soul. But all of those needs and all of those hungers and all of those thirsts can be met in Jesus Christ. And they can't be met anywhere else. I want you to go back to that night. 
I want you to use your sanctified imagination and I want you to think what it might have been like that night. Here Nicodemus as he timidly knocked at the door. And you hear the footsteps of the one who heard the knock as he makes his way to the door. And the door opens. And when that door opens, Nicodemus is standing face to face with Jesus Christ. Think about that. Think of the many things in the heart of this white-haired teacher. Think of the questions that he wanted to ask of Jesus. Think of the things that he wanted to say. But he begins with the one thing he's sure of. He says, Teacher, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do the things you do except God be with him. We know. We know that thou art a teacher come from God. Reading the story. Have you ever thought about not just what Jesus said to Nicodemus, but what Jesus didn't say. The door opens. Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. And Jesus looked at him and said, shook a finger in his face and said, Nicodemus, I know the trouble with you. You're not honest. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't shake a bony finger in his face and say, Nicodemus, you've got to stop swearing. Nicodemus, you've got to stop breaking the Sabbath. Jesus didn't say any of those things to this teacher in Israel. Had he done so, Nicodemus, I know your trouble. You're not honest. Nicodemus, I know that you've got to quit swearing. Nicodemus, you've got to quit breaking the Sabbath. If Jesus had wagged a finger in his face and accused him of those things, Nicodemus would have turned on him. Because Nicodemus wasn't guilty of any of those things. He was a clean man. He was a moral man. He was an honest man. So what did Jesus say to him? He said, you must be born again. Jesus told him he knew what was the matter. Jesus told him he knew what was wrong in his life. Nicodemus was trying to find peace. He was trying to find rest. He was trying to find joy and salvation by doctoring the outside of his life. If we try to find joy and peace and rest and salvation by doctoring the externals and the outside of our life, that's like finding out the water in the well is poisonous and we're going to fix it by painting the well curb. It's like a car I had a few years ago. I had this GMC Acadia. And one day the idiot light, I call them idiot lights because they're for people like me. The idiot light came on and it said, check battery charging system. Well, if I see one of those lights like that come on, that means I take it to the dealership. Because I have no concept of how do you check the battery charging system. First place, I can never did find the battery on that car. So I go in and I find out. I said, I don't know. I said, I guess there's something wrong with the alternator. I said, no, preacher, that car doesn't have an alternator. I said, huh? It has an internal 
generator. And I said, say what? It has an internal generator. I said, well, I don't know an internal generator from an external generator or an alternator. I just know the light says check the battery charging system. And so what they did is they put in a new internal generator and lightened my checkbook by several hundred dollars and I went on my way and the light was off. But now just suppose the service department had come up and said, well, preacher, your car needs a new internal generator, but we don't have one. But we did polish the hood. Guess what? That wouldn't have fixed the problem. We don't fix problems in our lives by doing external things. We have to internally change our lives. Nicodemus was told by Jesus, Nicodemus, you've got to put, be put right in your heart. You've got to get your heart right with God. You've got to fix what is inside. That's first and fundamental. Jesus tells this pious, earnest, honest man, the one supreme universal necessity. He says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now remember something. Jesus isn't saying this to an outcast. He's not saying this to someone who's wasted their substance in riotous living like the prodigal son. Jesus is saying this to one of the most cultured, refined, decent, religious men of his day. And to this good man, this just man, this moral man, Jesus says you must be born again. Here's a question. Are people in our day and time, are people in our sophisticated age disposed to somehow resent this message? In this sophisticated age we live in, do people think it's no longer necessary? Do we find it to be old-fashioned and out of date? Jesus is telling Nicodemus, even though you're old, Life can be made over for you. You see, through Jesus Christ, that's something that's available to every man and every woman on the top side of God's green earth. That new birth has been experienced by the most depraved and abandoned of men and women. And it's been experienced by the most decent and moral who had never been obedient to the gospel of Christ. Remember the scripture we read a few minutes ago from Matthew 7, 21? Jesus put a great importance on obedience. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Thy name? And in Thy name we cast out devils? And in Thy name we did many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. That new birth was experienced by no less than Saul of Tarsus. It was experienced by a nobleman from Ethiopia. It was experienced by a seller of purple named Lydia and a jailer and his family and Philippi. And the list could go on and on and on. 
But guess what? After that night, when He knocked on that door and He came face to face with Jesus Christ, Nicodemus' life was forever altered. And he went on to become a follower of Jesus. For a while, he was still a timid follower. And yet, when his colleagues condemned Jesus, he dared to speak in defense of Jesus. When Jesus died, he came out completely and acknowledged his discipleship. Jesus Christ finally succeeded in making the coward into a hero. And just like Jesus Christ remade Nicodemus, Jesus can remake me and you. Here's the question. Have you ever given Him the opportunity to do that? Have you ever been born again from above? If you haven't, I beg you, do it before you leave this building this morning. Or did you once upon a time submit to that new birth and then turn your back on it? Have you failed to live God's kind of life? Has the church been insignificant and unimportant in your life? Have sometimes the flimsiest of excuses kept you from serving God? Then I beg you, come back to the Lord this morning. Whatever the need of your life might be, I don't know what it is. You do. God knows. But if we can assist you in obedience to Jesus Christ, this is your opportunity to come and let us do that. As together we stand and while we sing.